I couldn't let uh, this Sunday pass without really addressing what's going on in light of this uh, decision that was made this past week. And so the next couple, two Sundays, I just want to bring a message entitled, A Biblical Response to an Unbiblical Decision. A Biblical Response to an uh, to an unbiblical decision, and and basically we just want to address the church on recent on this recent Supreme Supreme Court ruling this decision concerning marriage. And uh, if you don't know, you haven't been watching the news, but on Friday, a historic, <clears throat> almost Roman Romans one esque <laughs> decision was made by the U.S. Supreme Court, four to five that same-sex marriage is a constitutional right on the basis of the majority's interpretation of the 14th Amendment. Uh, Not only did they attempt to assume the role of God Almighty, who has already declared that marriage is only between one man and one woman for life, uh, but five black-robed individuals have overturned the votes of 50 million Americans in 30 states. And they're demanding that we turn our backs on thousands of years of human history, um, reams of social science data, and most importantly to us as believers, the clear teachings in God's holy scriptures. Uh, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled 5-4 to four that the 14th Amendment requires all 50 states to issue marriage licenses for same-sex couples and recognize those marriages performed in other states. Up to that time, it was basically left up to the states. Um, exactly two years after the court's majority took an iron gavel and smashed the federal marriage law, these same five black-robed lawyers came back to finish the job, intervening inventing a sweeping right to same-sex marriage that no founding father ever, ever intended. Um, In one justice's dissent to his five colleagues on the court, uh, Justin Anthony Scalia declared, Today's decree says that my ruler and the ruler of 320 million Americans coast to coast is a majority of nine lawyers on the Supreme Court. He continues that the court claimed power to create liberties that the Constitution and its amendments neglect to mention. This practice of constitutional revision by an unelected committee of nine always accompanied, as it is today, by extravagant praise of liberty robs the American people of the most important liberty they asserted in the Declaration of Independence and won in the Revolution in 1776, the freedom to govern themselves. End of quote. Well, five black-robed, I'll call them tyrants, may have trampled the votes and opinions of multiplied millions of Americans, but the Supreme Court does not have the moral authority to redefine marriage. Um, Just as President Abraham Lincoln refused to accept the Supreme Court's Dred Scott decision in 1857, declaring that a black slave 
was not a human being with full rights. And just as Americans refused to accept the Supreme Court, many Americans Supreme, refused to accept the Supreme Court's rule, ruling in Roe versus Wade in 1973, legalizing the killing of the unborn, we don't have to accept this ruling on marriage in 2015. But with that being said, how do we respond? How do we respond as a church? How do we respond as Christians? That's what we're going to be covering the next couple weeks. I know we have children in here this morning, so this morning we're just going to be going through these eight points, and basically it's going to be a uh, message focused on God's Word, and we won't get into all the details, so parents kind of relax. Um, uh, But I, I want to, like I said, take a break from Romans, our series of Romans, but then again, really not. And uh, I can't imagine um, a better way, really, to start this message than by reading Romans chapter 1 and into chapter 2. Because this court may have ruled on marriage, uh, but the book of Romans has a lot to say about a biblical response to an unbiblical decision regarding this ruling. Um, There's no room for discussion as far as I'm concerned on this. God has already overruled and he has already decided. There's no space for debate. His word forever establishes the divine pattern for marriage. That's what we believe. And as Romans 3, 4 says, God be found true, though every man be found a liar. And his opinion is binding. His opinion, God's opinion, is final. Amen? Amen. Amen. But among those in Christendom the last couple days, there's been everything from shock to outrage to fear to indifference. And I just want to share with you, none of this should shock us. None of this should surprise us. Whatever our response surprise should not be one of them because from what the Word of God says, um, clearly we should not be surprised. The Bible tells us that these days are coming and we're actually living in these days. And so as we start this little message, I want to start off in Romans chapter 1, verse 16. Romans chapter 1, verse 16. And I simply want to read down to chapter 2, verse 16. This is Paul writing, and you'll see how this applies so very clearly to what's going on in our world today. Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give Him thanks. 
But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images representing mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Verse 24, Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hand and impotent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's judgment, righteous judgment, will be revealed. He will render to each one according to his works to those who by patience and well-doing seek the glory, for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil. The Jew first and also the Greek. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good. The Jew first and also the Greek. For God shows no partiality. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearer of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves even though they do not have the law. They show that the work 
of the law is written on their hearts while their conscience also bears witness. And their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. On that day when according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Jesus Christ. I read that because the power of God's word has a power to convict our hearts. And not just lives filled with grievous sins, but as Paul said, before we judge, we better look at our own selves. As Christians, as a church, we better look at our own commitment to what we believe. Because I guarantee you there will come a day when that commitment will be called into question. There will come a day, it may be a year, it may be 10 years, it may be 15 years down the road, who knows, but there will come a day, I believe, when our government will approach churches and say, either you affirm this decision and you allow people who practice such things to participate and become members and that you affirm this lifestyle or the only thing they have over churches really is your tax-exempt exempt status will be revoked. And if you stop and think, if the government revoked the tax-exempt ex- status of a lot of churches, they would be subject to property taxes beyond what they could afford. That's what they have. And I think that there'll come a day when we have to make a decision as leaders, as Christians, as churches, what we will stand for. And I don't know about you, but I'm ready to stand for what is right, for what is true. I'm ready to stand on the Word of God unapologetically and let the consequences fall. Last, this last week I read a little blog by Eric Davis on Cripplegate, and I'm going to use that as my outline because it just made a lot of sense to me as I read through this. And as we respond, what is a biblical response to this? Well, we can't do anything but respond with what God's Word says. We have to go to God's Word. We have to be reminded that, you know what, this is just another act that the enemy is pulling off and that ultimately, um, you know, this is the way of the world. Um, We shouldn't be surprised by this. I mean, I I hear a lot of Christians, a lot of even pastors kind of almost reacting in a way that they're making decisions that maybe they shouldn't be making right now. They should maybe take some time and pray and make sure that their decisions are led by the Lord. Um, Because whether you like it or not, we're still held to respect those in authority over us. That includes our president, that includes the vice president, that includes his cabinet, that includes even the Supreme Court members, that we're called to respect them. Now, we don't obey man, but rather we obey God, so... There's one thing about respecting somebody, but if somebody tells you to do something that's contrary to the Word of God, you have to respectfully say no. And, you know, there's not going to be a time when, at least while I'm here, when this church 
embraces something like this. It just won't happen. And here's why. First of all, God is still sovereign and God is still supreme. Amen? This doesn't change anything. This does not change a single thing. Isaiah chapter 46, verse, six, or verse 9 and 10 says this. Isaiah 46, verses 9 and 10. It says, Remember the former things long past, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is no one like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from the ancient times, things which have not been done, saying, My purpose, listen to this, my purpose will be established, says God, and I will accomplish my good pleasure. This didn't catch God off guard. God was no more surprised by the Supreme Court ruling on marriage than he was when rulers 2,000 years ago took his own son and crucified him on a cross. He wasn't surprised at that either. As a matter of fact, it was part of his divine plan. It serves his own purposes for history. He is in total control, beloved, of this ruling, whether we like it or not. Just as he is over every little water molecule in the San Francisco Bay, just as he is over every star billions of light years away, Just as he is over the return of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to make all things right, he is in control. The God of the Bible saw this coming. And for whatever reason, he ordained it for his own reason. God is sovereign. He is supreme. If you lose sight of that, you don't have any hope. (laughs) Secondly, I want you to understand, not only is God still sovereign and supreme, but secondly, man is still utterly wicked. Man is still utterly wicked. Look at what it says as we read through Romans chapter 1, verse 28. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. God gave them up. We can't make up our own rules in this life. Whether it's about marriage, whether it's about human life, whether it's about anything. God has already spoken. See, it's one thing for humanity to sin against God. It's one thing for humanity to sin against our glorious and loving God. We see that all the time. But I'll tell you what, it's quite another to make our sin a matter of law. Um, That's what he says there in verse 32. Though they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, and that seems kind of radical, but look at what it says at the end. They do not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. See, the Supreme Court's ruling... in my mind, is a sin of epic proportion. Um, But it's just another form of this rebellious, sinful human race reaching out against a holy God. So it shouldn't surprise us. Man is still utterly sinful. And we have to be reminded that in the heart of each of us, every human being, is the capacity... For every known sin. 
except by the grace of God, what? There go I. Say. And we need to be real with that. You know, when we get back into Romans, we're going to be talking about the Apostle Paul, wrote most of the New Testament. And here is this man of God saying, man, I don't know why I'm doing these things I shouldn't be doing, but I'm doing them. And the things that I should be doing, that I want to do, I don't do them. There's that tension in our Christian lives. There's sin there. Even though the truth of Romans tells us, and up to this point, we know that the old nature's dead, it's buried, it's gone. When God looks at us, He looks at us as a righteous individual, not because of our own righteousness, but because we have the righteousness of Christ placed upon us. We are justified by Christ's work on the cross. He clothes us in His righteousness. We become one with Christ. That's our position before God. But never, never stop to forget that practically, practically every day we're reminded that we are mere sinners saved by God's grace. That we fall, that we falter, that we fail. That we do things that normally we wouldn't do. We do things that are dishonoring to Christ. We say things that are dishonoring to Christ. We say things that are dishonoring to others. We have anger issues. We have temper issues. We have disobedient issues that that run through our veins. And Paul, basically, the bottom line says, you know what, you're going to have that until you get rid of your body. If you don't want that anymore, then, you know what, check out of this body. Because as long as you're in this body of flesh, here in this sinful world, you're going to have to deal with that three-letter enemy, sin. And you're going to have to deal with it often. But the good news is, is that in Christ, our sins are forgiven. There's no condemnation for those that are in Christ. Amen? Even though we're utterly wicked and sinful people. That Christ has paid the price for that sin. And so as Christians, we don't need to walk around with sackcloth on our heads saying, Whoa, woe is me a sinner. That's not the attitude we should carry. The attitude we should carry is say, Yes, a sinner I am, but God is greater than my sin. He has forgiven my sin. He has reconciled me back to Him through the work of Christ. And I am truly forgiven. I think one of the the major problems that a lot of believers have is they forget who they are in Christ. They forget what the Bible says about them in Christ. And so they become a Christian, and then, boy, they're all going to save the world, and then they realize, wait a minute, I'm still struggling with sin. And so certain sins begin to creep back into their life and they get discouraged and they're like, wait a minute, I thought all this was supposed to go away. What happened to the happy, happy plan that Jesus had for me? Somebody somewhere along the line forgot to tell them that, hey, wait a minute, you know, Jesus promises you joy. He promises you peace. He promises you forgiveness. But he also promises you trials and tribulation and suffering and persecution. 
You know, they didn't mention that to me when I was praying that little prayer with them out on the street there. They didn't say anything about persecution. They didn't say anything about dealing with sin. Now I actually got to make a decision not to sin. Before, I just sinned and it didn't matter. Now in Christ, all of a sudden, I have this tension saying, well, okay, am I going to give in to this temptation or not? So we need to be reminded that not only the, the people that hold on to this kind of lifestyle and push it on others are sinners, but you know what? We are sinners as well. And that should cause Paul's and humiliation on our part to understand Jesus kind of hit this right on the, the head when he said, you know what, you may not be committing adultery with your neighbor's wife, but if you're looking at a woman with lust, you're, you're committing adultery. What did he do? He took the external action of sin and he internalized it. You can sin in thought without ever even doing anything. People look at you and think, wow, what a spiritual giant that person is. If they were to be able to see the darkness in your heart at times, they would really begin to pray for you. <laughs> see, whether we're sorrowing over this decision, or as some are in San Francisco today, celebrating it and lauding it, one thing is sure. We're all from the same pot. We all come from the same stock. We're all filled with sin. We all have a sin issue. Well, the third point here is not only is God still sovereign and still supreme, man is still utterly wicked and sinful. But thirdly, the God of the universe looks with sovereign disdain on the rebellion of nations, kings, and rulers. Look at what it says in Psalm chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. God looks with sovereign disdain displeasure on the rebellion of nations, kings, and rulers. Psalm 2, verse 1, says this, Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed, anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. See, you have to understand that our God is so sovereign, that our God is so holy, beloved, that even the upheaval of the highest human courts solicits an unworried disdain from heaven's throne. He's not worried about this. And neither should we be. And this isn't meant to go out and so you can blast this non-Christian culture we live in angrily. Rather, it's to strike us with sorrow. We should be sorrowful for our unregenerate leaders. We should be sorrowful for those who don't know Christ who are trying to serve our country through what we call government. It should be a motivation for us to pray for them. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, 1 to 4 says this. Timothy says, 
or Paul writes to Timothy and he says this, First of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people. 1 Timothy chapter 2. For kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Let us never forget that. That God desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. He's not talking, it doesn't say God desires all church people to be saved. It doesn't say that. It says all people. We need to be reminded that there's a lost and dying world out there. And God has left us here for the very purpose of reaching them with the glorious gospel of Christ. Proverbs 1.7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. See, this should not only really prompt us to pray for our leaders, but it should also prompt us to fear the Lord. It's a motivation for us to compassionately and boldly preach the gospel like we've never preached it before. And the very reason is is because the God of the universe looks with sovereign disdain on the rebellion of these kinds of people. And we need to be praying for them. We need to be praying that somehow God would turn their hearts to him. You know, it's, it's interesting when you watch different news broadcasts and you watch something like Fox News and you turn it on and you watch it and you, you hear people of so-called faith speak out. And you wonder where their hearts are at. Because they seem to be moral people. They seem to be, quote, Christian people. But when you really do your homework and you begin to understand what they understand as far as their theology goes, uh, to be frank, they're out to lunch. And yet they have a moral platform. And they're probably good folks as far as the world is concerned. But I wonder how many people like that are going to be surprised on the Day of Judgment when they're part of an organization or a church that doesn't teach the truth that embraces error, whether it's the Catholic Church or the Mormon Church or whatever. So we need to be able to preach the gospel and preach it in a way that is bold, powerful, and spirit-filled. Fourthly, the fourth point I want to share is all human rulers and judges will give account to the one ruler and judge. Uh, Psalm chapter 2, verses 11 and 12 says this. Psalm 2, 11 and 12. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Why? Be warned. O rulers of the earth, serve the Lord with what? Fear. And rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. 
Our country didn't get to this point overnight. Our country has been on a slow decline. You talk to people who grew up in the 40s and the 50s. The church was the hub of the community. Whether you were a Christian or not. Something went on in the community, it went on at the church. Now, you're lucky if the church is one of those spokes on the, on the wheel in the community. Most people don't even go to church anymore. And there's going to come a day when they're going to have to answer for this. There's going to come a day when they're going to have to give account to the one ruler and the one judge. Over in Revelation chapter 20, verse 11 and 12, John writes this, Revelation 20, 11 and 12, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it, from his presence earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. See, they're going to have to answer, just like you and I one day will have to answer, whether they're a district, circuit, supreme, court, justice, doesn't matter. The responsibility of human judges is to obey the highest authority of the universe because the responsibility of all humanity is to obey Him. He is Lord. It's funny, when you go down to the Supreme Court building, you see spiritual influence everywhere. And yet they're so far removed from that. In the end, God will judge both the small and the great. And He'll do it in a way that it's for their deeds. He will be fair. He will be exacting. There will be no second chance. Genesis 18.25 says the judge of the earth will do right. And so we don't have to worry about that. One day people will be held account for their decisions, for their actions. The fifth thing here I want to leave with you this morning is any present celebration of sin today will bring future frustration and judgment. As we speak in San Francisco, there's a giant parade going on. All sorts of weird things there. Things that are not honoring to God. Jeremiah chapter 2, verses 12 and 13 says this, Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked. Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. First of all, they have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. The basic element that makes up sin is nothing other than deceit. It advertises pleasure, but it only brings pain. It's the worst investor because self-destruction is a certain dividend. And today, many are celebrating. We saw, it just grieved my heart to see the, this rainbow effect put over the White House. I mean, boy. And what are they doing? They're trying to overthrow the good plan which God has designed 
for the propagation, for joy, for the good of humanity. But as with all perversion of God's design, it will prove futile and it will prove painful. Present celebrations, mark my word, will bring future frustrations. Sin wearies like water fetching with broken buckets. Have you ever tried to put water in a bucket that had holes in it? It's very frustrating. Worse than that, it ends to unalterable eternal punishment. They're playing with fire and they don't even realize it. Proverbs 14.34 says this, Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a disgrace to any people. When you look at our country and you look at the droughts, and you look at the shootings, and you look at the murders, and you look at all the stuff financially that's going on that's not good, don't think for a moment that, oh, this is just a a season we're going through. It'll, It'll turn around. Beloved, I... I just want to say this morning, this will not turn around until hearts and minds are transformed and turned around. God will not bless a nation that acts this way. He says very clearly in his word. And that grieves my heart as a grandfather to think, wow, what do my grandchildren have to look forward to? What do your children have to look forward to? That's why it's so important. That's why it's so vital that we don't point them to the world, we point them to the Savior. We point them to Christ, who can make a difference, who can transform their heart, who can give them an opportunity to be reconciled reconciled with their Creator, to live a life that is honoring. Sixth thing I want to share with you this morning is that Jesus Christ has promised to build and to bless only one institution. Jesus Christ has promised to build and bless only one institution. And I hate to burst your bubble, but it's not America. (laughs) It's not the United States of America. Sometimes we think as Christians growing up in this country that we're the only nation around. Now, I'm very patriotic. I love this country. I think it's still probably one of the, 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 the most wonderful places on the earth to live for all the obvious reasons. But Jesus Christ has promised to build and to bless only one institution. And he says that in Matthew 16, verse 18. He says, I will build what? My church. I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, when you stop and you think about that, you mean he's not interested in, in, in you know, having some big revival in America? No, he's interested in building his church. Can God turn this around? Sure, he could. I don't see it in the cards, frankly, but he could. See, though tragic, this, this court ruling is relatively small in the scheme of things which the true church of Christ has faced throughout its lifetime. This is nothing. If you all you have to do is go back and take a look at church history. 
This is just a small little blip on the radar screen. I mean, do you know that there have been times, and in some countries it still is this way, that it's illegal to be a Christian? It's against the law? God's people have been thrown to abused, starving, wild beasts as punishment as they ate their popcorn in the stands and watched these poor Christians be torn apart by the lions or whatever it might have been for entertainment purposes. Don't forget, Nero wrapped Christians in pitch and he would burn them as human candles during parties. You look at some of the stuff that ISIS does, it's nothing new. Beheading people, putting their heads on posts. That's a sign. Do you know that at one point in history, in church history, Christians were burned alive by the Roman Catholic Church? During the Reformation? Go figure. In many countries today, Christians are denied basic human rights. They're tortured, they're mocked, they're unjustly imprisoned. They're executed for their faith. You think of Pastor Zaid Abedini, dear brother, in prison. And you see our government doing little, if not anything, to, to help him in any way. Why? Because, well, it's not a big deal. And yet many of these persecuting societies are nothing more than Dust brushed by an inquiring archaeologist. They're gone. And yet the church survives. The Bible thrives. The Word of God is still the Word of God. It doesn't matter whether you call it truth or not. It still is. We need to be reminded of these things, beloved. Jesus Christ has promised to build and bless only one institution. That is the church of Jesus Christ. You can leave off the Latter-day Saints part because he's not blessing that. It's the church of Christ. And you know what? As a believer, you're part of that. You're on a winning team. You're on a, you're on a team that says, you know what? The gates of hell will not prevail against you. I don't know about you, but that should encourage you. Can you imagine if you knew for sure that your company was just going to thrive and thrive and thrive and never hit a, hit a lull, never in anything? I mean, wouldn't that motivate you to work harder? Sure it would. What if you knew in six months your company wouldn't even be around, that they would declare bankruptcy and be gone? Boy, you'd be worrying yourself sick. You'd go to work saying, I'm just putting in my time. See, a lot of Christians look at this present situation in the world, and, and I think that that's, rather than being motivated by things like this, they just throw their hands up and go, oh, whatever. <laughs> no, we should be motivated. We should be driven to our knees. We should be praying. We should be preaching. We should be doing everything we can to get the glorious gospel out there into the ears of those who've yet to hear it. 
And we should be doing everything we can to live the glorious gospel before those who have yet to see it. The church survives. And I just want to say that, you know, um, there's a reason why here at Grace Bible Church we believe in church membership. We believe that it's essential. We believe that if you're a believer and and you want to um, become a member of this church, we know you're a member of the Church of Christ, the universal church, but we believe local churches were established in the New Testament. They knew who was amongst them. They counted the folks that came in. They knew who to care for. And when it comes to issues like this that come up, it even elevates that more. And can I point to a chapter and verse where it says you should become a member of a church? No. There's not a a Bible verse that exists. But it just makes good common sense. It makes sense because, you know what, when you join together as the body of Christ, especially in a local assembly, what are you doing? You're committing yourselves to really serve and to protect something that Jesus Christ said he would build. So it's a good thing. And it also allows the church to be protected as well. Well, the seventh thing here this morning is regardless of earthly circumstances, regardless of earthly circumstances, it doesn't matter what happens, God's church is to stay fervently committed to God's plan. We don't want to wave off course. You know, this isn't, you know, something like this happens. We don't, you know, believe in, in getting a bunch of street signs and going down and picketing. And <laughs> That's not what we're called to do as a church. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said this in verse 13, You are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. If you did that, you'd be in a world of hurt. Burn your house down. That wouldn't make any sense. But it says, what do you do with that light? You put it on a stand. And what's it do? It lights the whole house. In the same way, let your light shine before others. So that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. We have to stay committed more now than ever to what God's plan is. God has left us here for a purpose. We're the salt of the earth, the light of the world. We need to be reminded of that. We need to be reminded that, you know, when we go out in this society, this city that we call Redwood City, and we, we live, that we're representing Christ. Not only that, but we're representing His church. Not only that, but we're representing Grace Bible Church. What you do at work, the way you handle yourself, what you do on vacation, what you do at play, whatever it might be. You're not your own person. Part of something bigger than yourself. You're part of Christ's church. Matthew 18, Matthew 28, verses 18 and 19 says, And Jesus came up and he spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. And then go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. That's what we're called to do. 
That takes time. That takes effort. That takes a willingness to serve. We don't want to get off message. We don't want to just totally reorient ourselves to, well, we just got to become more political. No. We live in a country where we're given the privilege to vote, and I believe every Bible-believing Christian needs to take that privilege serious. And you vote for the best candidate based on your biblical understanding of morality and principles. I don't care what party they're from. Who cares about that? That's ridiculous. Are they going to stand for what God stands for? The Supreme Court's ruling charges nothing for the what should we do as the church. It changes nothing. Because the Bible doesn't change. We do the same thing we were doing before. As a matter of fact, in this dark hour, we have a wonderful opportunity to do what we're always supposed to do. We're supposed to shine and we're supposed to speak the truth in love. We're to humbly, lovingly, and intentionally avoid the, the bunker mentality. Man, just get everything ahead for the hills. You know, no, that's not what, what Christ told us to do. We're called to be in the world with the hope and prayer that God rescues some. And maybe he'll use us to do it. Today's headline is merely a reminder. It's a nudge to us as the church. That you know what? Outside these four walls, there's a lost and dying world. And the last time I checked, the only answer to that is Christ. We're still called to love our neighbor. We're still called to unashamedly speak the truth that Christ was crucified in the place of sinners. And that you know what? This earth is not heaven. (laughs) We're just passing through. 1 Corinthians 13.6, Paul writes this, Love does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. We're on the right side, and we need to express that. We don't need to do it in anger. We don't need to do it worrisome. We need to do it in joy. It says it rejoices in the truth. The last thing I want to share with you this morning is that through faith in Jesus Christ, even God's enemies can become his children. And this is essential. You have to believe this if you're a Christian. Romans 5.8 says, God shows his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, what? Christ died for us. See, we've got to get out of the self-righteous mentality. Oh, those bad people outside the church, you know, no, we stay away from them. No, we're called to go out and to reach them with the glorious message of Christ, that their hearts would be transformed by his power, by his spirit. Acts 17.30 says this, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent. See, there's still an opportunity. Even though things look awry, God is saying, hey, there's, there's, there's still an opportunity to tap into my grace. I'll still accept that sinner that comes to me saying, whoa, be merciful to me, a sinner. 
I need salvation. I need a savior. It's my only way out. See, the hope of humanity, the hope of humanity is not, and it never has been, in an earthly king, in a court, or in some judge. The only hope we have is in the saving power of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, even if our nations represented the most respectable moral standards, it would still be insufficient. (laughs) Do you understand that? They could outlaw abortion. They could outlaw same-sex marriage. They could bring prayer back into school. That's not going to change anything. It would still be insufficient. That's not going to save anybody. Because the human... The greatest human need is not to pray in a school or or to protect the unborn or even to protect the sanctity of marriage. That's not the greatest human need. Last time I checked, every human being enters the world as a natural fist-shaking enemy of God. How dare you? And yet, incredibly, the God of the universe stepped out of heaven into the muck of this humanity, this sinful humanity that we live in. He came down as a mere human being. He lived righteously, the Bible tells us, in complete obedience to God for 30 plus years. Then at the cross, he held himself accountable for our sin. He took upon himself the sin of all those who would ever put their faith or trust in him. He endured the righteous anger of his own father, God, the Father, which we deserved as sinners. Christ was treated, listen, he was treated as God's supreme enemy so that we might be treated as his beloved children for all eternity. And by turning from trust in self to trust in a Savior, in the Savior, we can enter into God's favor and begin living in the joy of obedience to Him. So they ruled on marriage. What now? Well, we need to pray. We need to preach. And we need to persevere. And we need to do all that in the power of the Holy Spirit that God has given to us. Father, we thank You for... The word today, we pray, Lord, that you would move our hearts to pray for our country. Pray for those who are leading us down this road. Pray for our president and vice president. Pray that somehow you would penetrate their heart with the glorious gospel of Christ and cause them to repent and turn from themselves and turn to you. We pray for our local county and city leaders. They all seem to be jumping on the same bandwagon. Well, we pray for that one who might stand up and say, this is wrong. Pray that you'd give them courage. And that that courage might be a, a light in all the darkness around them. and That others might take notice and somehow that your word would penetrate their hearts as well. Father, you're perfectly capable of turning this whole thing around even now as, we, as we're sitting here. Whether that's your plan or not, we don't know. But Lord, we're, we're so thankful that our trust is not in what some human court thinks of 
what you have established as marriage. We don't live by that. But also, as Christians, we're called to be in submission to those in authority over us as far as, as long as we can until it interferes with what you tell us to do. So, Father, I pray that we'd be in much prayer for the coming days and months and years even and the ramifications that a decision like this has is is not encouraging and yet it does tell me that I really believe you're we're closer to your coming than we were yesterday and we look forward to that we long for that we groan for that as does your all your whole creation and so Lord we pray that if there's any here today who has yet to put their faith or trust in Christ but this is not a game. This is not something, a charade. This is real life. And you see the Bible and what it prophesies living out before your eyes as we read through Romans. That's, that's the news. <laughs> and Lord, we pray that there's still that window of opportunity to receive your grace and your forgiveness. And I pray, Lord, that as we pray for those who cry out to you, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Show me my need of a Savior. Save me from my sin. Help me to turn away from it and turn to you. I pray that you would answer that prayer, that you would transform them, change their heart and their mind, make them a new person in Christ. Old things passed away, all things have become new. Lord, we pray for our children. We pray for their protection. pray for their minds. pray for their hearts. Lord, we pray that you would keep them focused on things that are godly, things that are honoring to you. We pray as parents and grandparents even, Lord, that we would do our job to filter out what we can. And yet, Father, we trust you to bring their hearts to you, that they may grow up to love and to serve you. Father, we just thank you for our time together today. Pray you bless our fellowship time across the way afterwards. Bless the food of our bodies. We thank you in Jesus' precious name. Amen.